Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Well, having just gotten back from the islands of the Pacific, ministering to the natives in a land called Waikiki, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we had a great time. Uh, Sean and Jen and Ryan and Marissa went ahead of us to Kauai, and we had the privilege of having Ethan and Thomas with us, and it was so much fun uh, being able to take them to the airport and get on the big airplane and go through all of that. Uh, Thank goodness for fire tablets for children, uh, which helped a great deal in that journey. And we had a wonderful time uh, in Hawaii as well, so thank you for allowing that to happen. Uh, We appreciate uh, that, and uh, it's great to be back, though. Over the years, I've traveled a lot uh, between the Navy and mission trips and things, and my favorite sound is always the wheels of the airplane hitting the runway at SeaTac Airport, and I'm home. uh, It just doesn't seem to be any different than that for me, and I think those of you that travel know know what's that and what that's that's like. So Um, I want to welcome back... Uh, Ryan, who has served our country well at Guantanamo Bay for, was it six months, Ryan? Nine months. Was it nine months? Wow. And uh, Ryan is with uh, Port Security, which means he gets to go out in a boat and get a suntan in the Caribbean. Is that, am I getting it? Pretty close? Okay, good. Well, anyway, it's great to have you back, and thanks for your service, Ryan. I'm going to ask, yeah. (laughs) I'm going to ask uh, John Taylor to come up, and John, I'm going to grab the microphone here. I'm going to run down your battery, Casey. Um, We, uh, as a church, have been deeply moved by the situation in Ukraine, and uh, have wanted to do something to be a help along the way. And one of the best ways of helping is if you know the organization, if you know the people that you're giving through. And so John has a long relationship uh, with folks in the Ukraine who are right now um, kind of like a way station for refugees coming through western Ukraine. So John's going to share a little bit with us about that. And then at the end of the service today, we're going to take an offering. Our regular tithes and offerings are done with the offering box. You may notice we don't talk much about money at North Sound. Uh, But in this case, um, John Campbell will be at the back with a plate. And if you would like to give this morning, I know Barb and I are planning to give a generous gift on behalf of of, of us for these folks. Um, we also know that many of you give online uh, or through your, your bank account, and you're welcome to do that this week. Just make sure that you put Ukraine uh, on your check or uh, as a note with your gift um, so that it get, goes in the right direction. John, tell us about the folks in Uzgarad and what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Barry. So I wish I could be a little bit uh, as upbeat as Pastor Ellen and Pastor Barry already were this morning. But I do want you to feel my heart just for a minute, if you will. Um, as you can see, I'm wearing the Ukraine colors today, the bright yellow and blue. For those of you who have been to our house Over the years, our living room and dining room are painted in the Ukraine colors, and the Ukrainian flag is flying proudly in front of our house the last three weeks. Uh, 
The reason for that is um, since 1995, myself and my family, all four of our kids, have been to Ukraine over 25 times. We started going in 1995, uh, right after the fall of the Soviet Union, and started joining uh, what was called the Nehemiah team at that time. It was a group of Christian leaders that were going into the ex-Soviet Union countries during those years and conducting leadership and Bible training schools for these young Christian leaders. Then you'll see in this picture up here on the right is our Nehemiah Center. It was built in the year 2000 by the way of a, a, a donor here in the Seattle area. We were able to build a 45,000 square foot facility with 45 rooms to house these young leaders in those early years. Three large classrooms, full cafeteria, and cafe. That's in Uzgorod. You will see in the far southwestern corner there, circled in red, almost touching the Slovakian border. As a matter of fact, the Nehemiah Center is only three miles from the border of Slovakia. For the last three weeks, our team there, led by Vasiko and Tanya and Assistant Director Olga, these three uh, leaders of the center uh, have been there since the year 2000 when we built the building. They were college students when we met them in 1995. They were our translators from the university that our team hired, and by translating the Bible and the leadership of Christian leaders, they became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and are still our directors today. Since uh, three weeks ago, we have been able, we meaning Tanya Vosco and our center there, has been able to help over uh, 500 now trans, uh, transport over the border into Hungary and uh, Slovakia, many of them spending days and days making their way through the bombing from eastern Ukraine. So far as of today, they have not uh, started any bombing in this area of Ukraine, but our folks are really, really tired. Been stockpiling mattresses and food and supplies for the last three weeks, and um, in preparation, you can see the mattresses on the floor there, the kids eating in the cafeteria. The sad stories are many parents are showing up with their children and sending the kids across the border. But anybody under the age of 50 is getting drafted, the men, and the women are staying to uh, take care of relatives or also going with children across the border. My very, very good friend, Pastor Volodia, age 43, we met him when he was age 19. Uh, got to see he and Oxana get married. He's now 43. He and his 23-year-old son just got drafted two weeks ago in the Ukrainian army. And uh, Oxana is alone at home. We have been talking to our friends every single day. They, can't, they don't know where Volodya's gone, and he can't tell them. So this is a very sad situation. Uh, 
Right now, as of yesterday, we were still able to trans, uh, transfer money to the local banks being still open in far western Ukraine. And uh, hopefully we are checking every day. We'll check again tomorrow that we still can get these funds to them. We're making plans right now, if we can't get additional supplies to them, to have a source uh, on the other side of the border to help them out. Uh, I just want to read to you from Tanya. This She sent me this yesterday morning in preparation for today. Uh, there's the center right there. That's a group of, a whole group that our center has arranged to um, be received in Germany. So this, this picture was taken about a week ago. A large group, uh, uh, Nehemiah arranged their transportation. She said, I've lost track of time. Yesterday was the most difficult day for us. We received many new people. They are everywhere now, many of them now sleeping in our corridors. Some of them are 12 days in bomb shelters and did not eat, drink, or have any connection or electricity for six days. Their stress, their trauma are horrible. And worse of any stories we've heard from the country of Georgia or Chetnia, in the occupied areas the Russians are now dividing, we've heard in these stories men and women in different groups and place them in the basements of the buildings where these occupants make are now making their home. Please pray for us and the people there. The number of civilians' deaths, deaths are growing rapidly. The most dangerous are rockets, bombs, which are falling from the sky. She says they have not had any bombs yet uh, descend upon this area of Ukraine. But um, our workers there, thank goodness, have other volunteers that are coming to the center and helping them out from some of the churches. But will you please pray for our folks in the Nehemiah Center? Um, they, they need a Sabbath. Barry's going to be sharing in his message today about Sabbath rest and what that means. And Tanya and Vasiko and crew are saying it's, it, they're not sleeping at night. They've got people who are in trauma and tears. They're praying constantly with people. They recognize that this is a ministry. And Tanya and Vasiko said, we are not leaving here. We will stay here even when the Russians, if they do, show up. So please pray, and thank you so much for letting me share this morning. Would you go ahead and pray for us? Lord, we just pray right now for the Nehemiah team in Uzhgorod, Ukraine. We pray, Lord, that you would be their strength and their peace. Yes, we thank you for their strong, incredible faith in you. We thank you so much that these young believers that we knew back in the 90s are now so mature. We're so proud of them and their faith and their sharing of Jesus to these now hundreds of people that are coming through the center. And more than that, meaning their physical needs. Lord, will you continue to hold them up? Will you continue to give us wisdom from so far away of how we can help? Yes. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, John. If you would like to take your Bibles or <clears throat> your phones or your 
tablets, whatever works for you. Uh, we're looking to God, into God's Word together today. For those of you who may be guests, um, our worship time is indeed more than one song. And, uh, but when we have communion, we kind of flip things around and we have the talk first, and then we have uh, a time of worship around uh, the Lord's table. We're uh, going to be looking at two commandments, and I didn't realize, Pastor Nancy, when we divided up the, uh, the Ten Commandments and we gave each of us who will be sharing, Pastor Robin next week, two commandments. That's a lot, isn't it? I mean, it takes a lot to unpack even one commandment, and we're trying to do two. So fasten your seatbelts this morning uh, as we uh, attempt to at least touch uh, on two of these commandments. Commandments number three and number four, and if you missed one and two, Pastor Nancy shared uh, that last week, and you can go to the YouTube channel uh, and get those. Welcome, folks who are joining us online. This is an interesting Sunday. Um, We are uh, unmasked for the most part. And want to say, however, that those of you that have been sensitive about coming back, I know some have not wanted to come while we're masked, and others don't want to come if we're unmasked. So it's kind of hard to find a happy medium. But we've just been following public health guidance, and so we welcome you, masked or unmasked. And if you um, want to mask and you have health concerns, I encourage you to consider the N95 or the KN95 to definitely protect yourself. You would be welcome. Uh, However, it is also wonderful to see the folks here today. And actually recognize some people uh, seeing more than just uh, just their eyes. Pastor Allen has already talked about Club Grub starting up. Uh, we're going to have a very special celebration in two Sundays. Okay, so be careful about God's name, commandment number three, and live life in balance, commandment number four. So our text this morning, at least one of our texts, speaks of the misuse of the name of God. This comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord your God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What does it mean to misuse the name of God? Well, there are a couple of things that I want to suggest that there are two very specific ways that we do this. First of all, we misuse the name of God when we use it for cursing. When Sean, who was in the service this morning, was about 16, he went to work for a friend, Larry Sunquist, who was a fairly large contractor, uh, and uh, he uh, had a subdivision that he was working on, and there was this really big sign as you went into the subdivision telling uh, what could be done and couldn't be done on the job site, and one of the things that was not supposed to happen was cursing. Uh, That was on that thing. But of course, construction guys being what they are, uh, that wasn't sort of followed to the T. And so Sean learned two very important things that summer. One was that he didn't want a career in construction. Right, Sean? And the other um, was, I think the vocabulary may have been somewhat increased by those that, uh, that he worked with there. In Leviticus... Chapter 24, verse 11, there's a story of a scuffle that broke out in the camp. And one of the young men, we read, blasphemed the name with a curse. So they brought him to Moses, and Moses had him as a penalty for that taken outside the camp and stoned. It seems like, my goodness, what kind of a severe punishment was that? But the challenge that they had was that, was that 
it took the name of God that was very special. And in the Hebrew understanding, the name really meant the person. It was a, it was a stronger association than we would typically have. And essentially took that in vain. Now we do the opposite. Pastor Allen will lead us in a little bit in the Lord's prayer. And rather than cursing, we say, hallowed be your name, hallowed, holy be your name. In Matthew 12, Jesus gives a warning. He says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you'll be condemned. So friends, we need to be careful about the language that we use and the impact of that. The secondly, I want to mention the misuse of the name of our Lord when we use it for taking an oath. When we take an oath or make a promise in Jesus' name and then we break it, we're guilty of profaning the name of God when we do that. And what this passage is saying is that we need to let our yes be yes and our no be no so that when we make a statement, when we make a particular thing that says we are going to do this, we just do it. We become the kind of people with the character that we do what we say we will do. And we don't have to take an oath because everybody knows that we are the kind of people that have the kind of character that will do what we say we're going to do. Jesus speaks of the issue of oaths in Matthew 5. He says, again, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it's the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for that is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. We may have changed that a little bit today, I suppose. Lord, uh, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So there are those, I believe the Quakers, the Anabaptists, who take this in such a way that they won't use an oath even in a court of law. They believe that this passage should be taken in that way. Personally, I don't think that's what's being addressed here. Uh, I think it's okay for us to do that. Uh, But the important thing is to recognize that the point of the passage is to make our yes, yes, and our no, no, and live that out. William Barclay talks about the promises that we make and the importance of them. First of all, the promise of ordinary life. Again, when we say we're going to do something and we don't do it, that creates a problem. We need to be the kind of people that take our commitment seriously. Secondly, the promise that is implied in our workplace. If we are being paid as employees for 40 hours a week, we need to work 40 hours a week. If we are employers, we need to make sure that our people are paid adequately and appropriately for the work that they do. There's also the promise of the law courts. Does anybody remember Perry Mason? Do you remember the famous words of Perry Mason that probably every show it would come up and that was? Are you going to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Remember that? That was what was said. And what Barclay says here is that we um, need to be careful, even in a law setting, that what we say will be the truth. And then finally, he mentions the spiritual vows concerning marriage, dedication of children, and communion. 
On our wedding days, those of us that are married, we take, we take vows around that, that we will be faithful to the one that we are marrying that day. When we dedicate our children or baptize our children, we say in front of the congregation that we will raise that child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It's a vow that we make. It's a commitment we make. And we're going to celebrate communion here this morning, and that's a time also to look at our vertical and our horizontal relationship with God. So God sees the misuse of his name as serious business because it reflects our hearts. It reflects what is internal. The scripture says in Luke uh, chapter 6, The good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So the heart of the third commandment here is not to misuse the name of God, because it's bringing God down to our level. When we treat him as someone that isn't holy, that isn't other than us, but we bring him down to our level, we misuse and violate his holiness, his wonder, his otherness, his awesomeness. And it's serious business because when we do that, it has an effect on us and others. When I was serving with the U.S. Coast Guard in Hawaii, Navy chaplains look after Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard folks. And I met a Coast Guard officer who was on the way to Guam uh, for a very important command position there. And I had an opportunity to interview her as part of her process of deploying from CONUS, from the continental United States, on to Guam. And we chatted about her faith And she talked about the fact that she had not been a believer, had not been a follower of Christ. But she said she took her young son to a funeral service. And having gone to the funeral service, the pastor talked about Jesus. And her little boy said to her, Mom, why is he so angry? Why is he so angry? And it wasn't because he was angry, and it wasn't because of his voice inflection in the service. It was because that child had only heard the name of Jesus Christ taken in vain. And she said that moment profoundly changed her. When she realized the experience of her child, and the need for her child and for her to understand who Jesus Christ really was and is. We're going to shift gears here quickly and and move on to looking at living life in balance, which is the fourth commandment. It has to do with the Sabbath. There are two stories I'm going to begin with that illustrate two different approaches to life. The first one goes like this. A first grader became curious because her father kept bringing home his briefcase with paperwork And every evening, instead of playing with her, he had to do the paperwork. And so she asked her mom, you know, why does daddy have to do this? And her mom said, well, daddy has so much work to do in the office that he doesn't get it done. And he has to bring it home. And the little girl said, well, why don't they put daddy in a slower group? (laughs) Seems Seems like a reasonable idea. The second approach is that of architect Frank Lloyd Wright. There's an incident in his life that was very important to him, and it may have seemed insignificant at the time. 
This winter, he was nine years of age, and he walked with his uncle through a field, probably a pasture type of field. And when they got to the other side, to the fence on the other side, his uncle said, Frankie, look back at your footprints and my footprints in the snow. And he said, Frankie, I want to teach you an important lesson about life. And the important lesson about life is if you look at my footprints, you'll see that they came straight to this gate where we needed to go. And Frankie, in life, you need to walk straight with purpose, having a goal and going exactly where you need to be. And Frankie didn't say anything to his uncle, but in later years, he said, I determined right then not to miss out most things in life as my uncle had. (laughs) So how do we approach life? How do we find balance in life? Why are we so stressed? Well, our subject this morning looks at the fact that statistically we've been busier and busier as a people. I have felt so badly for our younger families, married or single parents, uh, when school hasn't been in session and they're trying to do their job online, but then their kids need to be online to try to connect with school. It has been a grueling experience for families going through this COVID time. But it's also interesting because I know that people in retirement, one of the refrains that I hear of people in retirement is, I don't know how I ever got everything done before I retire. It seems that all of us, as a part of American life, find ourselves stressed and busy, regardless of the circumstances of our life. So I want us to look more closely at this passage But before we do, I wanted to share with you a story about uh, and some insight from Stephen Covey. So way back a number of years ago, when Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, was new, um, I bought it to read on the airplane heading back to the Midwest. And I was so impressed with it that I went to Los Angeles to the Covey organization that was holding a, a meeting there in Los Angeles and took the training to be able to help the staff at the church I was serving in at that time uh, learn and apply the seven habits of highly effective people. The principles were certainly biblical principles, uh, and I felt it would help us to develop a quality corporate culture by all of us being on the same page. Well, just very quickly, I want to share them with you, but there's one in particular that's important for this morning. So he talks about these habits, the first three leading to a private victory, and then the second three habits leading to a public victory. And the private victory is concerned with what we do ourselves, how we, how we affect our own lives, and then the others are how we affect the lives of others. Habit one is be proactive. Be proactive. Basically, it's saying don't be a victim. Regardless of what has happened to you in your life, if you're going to make a change, you need to take responsibility for your life. Be proactive. Take responsibility. The second one, habit two, is begin with the end in mind. We need to have a picture of what's important in life to be able to move towards that. And then the, the uh, third habit 
um, that we that we have with cubby habit habit number three tells us to put first things first. This is the habit of time and life management. It's determining how we are going to spend our time. Are we going to waste our time or are we going to use our time in a quality and focused way? Habit four, now having achieved a private victory, now we move into the public realm, is to think win-win. Most of our lives, we think in terms of relationships and negotiations as win-lose situations. If he wins, I'm going to lose. If she loses, I'm going to win. That, that's the way we tend to approach things. Covey says, think win-win. In other words, approach relationships with people and others from a perspective that both can win in this negotiation or in this dialogue or in this relationship. Habit five is to seek first to understand before being understood. We do so much better when we listen, when we become good listeners and hear what other people are actually saying. And then habit six is called synergy. It's where we recognize the power of collaboration with others. We're better together. But it's the next habit, habit seven, that is particularly important that I want to talk about this morning in the context of the Sabbath. And that is called sharpen the saw. Because without this habit, all of the other ones will be of limited value. And sharpen the saw is a great introduction to what God intends with his teaching of the Sabbath, the Sabbath principle in Scripture. You ever tried to cut a piece of wood with an old handsaw that was dull? It's miserable. It's miserable. It goes so slow and you work so hard. And in sharpening the saw, what Covey says is that If we don't look after ourselves, if we don't pay attention to our own development and get the rest and the restoration that we need, our lives are like using a dull saw. And the problem is, is that you can't keep being productive using a dull saw. At some point, you're going to come apart. At some point, you're not going to get done what you need to. And in your life as a human being, that might be a health breakdown. It might be a nervous breakdown. Uh, It might be the inability to continue to function in your role in the organization. You need to sharpen the saw, and that means to take the time to be able to do that, to recharge our batteries, To be able to continue to produce, we have to step back from producing in order to be effective. Time for renewal is what the fourth commandment is all about. We read about it in Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is with you uh, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. The fourth commandment is about balance in our lives. It talks about renewal. It talks about God's design for us and the importance of rest and restoration. So how do we apply that principle today? Well, it's important for us to go back to the very beginning and see how it was applied. And interestingly, in Genesis chapter 2, at the very beginning of creation, we read this. 
And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. He worked for six days, he rested on the seventh. However, we understand that broader picture of what creation was all about. And so this is our pattern, a weekly pattern, if you like. And it's not only the expression of a day, which we'll talk about in just a moment, but, but it's the principle that is behind that day, the principle of sharpening the saw, of restoring our lives, restoring ourselves, rather than working every day without rest. So the blessing of the Sabbath was God's intention, but what happened was the Pharisees began to put rules around the Sabbath. So instead of the Sabbath being something for the enjoyment and the rest and the restoration of people, there were rules associated with it. So there were 29 rules that they came up with, excuse me, 39 rules. And under each of those rules, there were other rules about how to follow the Sabbath and not not um, contaminate the Sabbath, not sin on the Sabbath. So one example, they debated whether uh, it was a sin to lift a child on the Sabbath. Did that constitute work? And so they debated that, but then they took the debate a little farther, and the debate was if the child had a stone in his hand and you lifted the child, would that constitute breaking the Sabbath. And then they began to debate the size of the stone relative to whether that would break the Sabbath or not. You get get an idea of the picture of what was happening on the Sabbath. And then we see Jesus come onto the scene and, and provide a completely different perspective on the Sabbath. In Matthew 12, he has a confrontation with the Pharisees about the Sabbath. And he says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus affirms the Sabbath principle here, but says it's designed not for us to follow laws, but it's designed for human beings. People weren't created to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to restore people. Paul speaks of this in Colossians when he says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. The Sabbath is for us. The Sabbath is for our rest and restoration And its principle is applied in our lives in a number of different ways. The fact is we need a Sabbath. We need the fourth commandment. We need balance in our lives. At a time when 
in history, people feel the need to run faster and faster. God reminds us of the need for a Sabbath rest and that Sabbath rest may not necessarily be on Saturday, the Sabbath day, but the principle applies to all of us as we need that time to be worked out in our lives. Covey spoke of the need to sharpen the saw through the renewal of the spiritual, social, emotional, mental, and physical aspects of our lives. These are the very things that the Sabbath addresses. And it seems to be part of a weekly cycle. A balanced life takes time for personal spiritual reflection regularly, individually, and corporately on Sunday. I so appreciated last week I was able to catch the service from last Sunday when I was in Hawaii, and I so appreciated Pastor Nancy talking about her own Lenten practice, adding something to her life, taking something away, and and that was uh, adding 15 minutes of silence during Lent to her day. Um, That's a Sabbath type of a choice, a Sabbath type of principle. A balanced life takes time to restore the social and emotional batteries of one's life. A balanced life takes time to grow mentally through study. A balanced life takes time to be renewed physically. Do you remember Aesop's fable? And I'm just about winding down here as the worship team gets ready. You may recall Aesop's fable of the goose that laid the golden egg. It's a a great story of a guy, a a poor, very poor uh, farmer, centuries ago, who uh, went, as he usually did in the morning, to get the egg from his goose. And in this case, it was a golden color, and it was heavy, but he couldn't believe it. So he took it into town and had it checked out, and indeed it was gold. And the next morning, there was another golden egg, and the next another. Until finally, in, in his lust for more and more, He decided if all of these golden eggs are coming from within the goose, he's going to kill the goose and get all of the golden eggs at one time. And you know how the story goes. The goose dies. He opens the goose up. There are no golden eggs. We have to look after ourselves. We can't kill in our own lives the means that we have to produce good with our lives. Much like the airline that says, put on your mask first in order to be able to help others, in order to be viable to be able to serve and help others. We need that Sabbath rest. We need not to kill the goose in our lives that lays the golden eggs. Friends, God is the father of each one of us. He's given each one of us the wonder of life. And there are some strings attached. And one of those strings is that we have to look after ourselves. And there's so much wisdom with the fourth commandment. We need to follow the Sabbath principle. We need to rest. We need balance. If we don't look after ourselves, we will no longer be able to produce. We will kill the goose that gives the golden eggs will burn out, will break down, will fail, will fall. This morning, some of us may just need a little warning, but some of us may be facing an emergency in this regard in our lives. January 25th, 1990, Avianca Flight 52 from Columbia 
was coming into JFK Airport in New York. The weather was bad, the airliner traffic was busy, and the plane didn't make it the airport. It crashed just 15 miles short with the loss of all 73 people on board the aircraft. The reason for it is the plane simply ran out of gas, ran out of gas. By regulation, an aircraft needs to carry enough fuel, 5% of its total fuel load, to be able to go to an alternate field if it can't get into the field it needs. But for some reason, they had used up their fuel, and due to this low fuel condition, the Avianca pilots requested air traffic control to put them in a priority status but not an emergency status. And putting them in a priority status, they put them into a holding pattern until they ran out of gas. Had they declared an emergency, they would have been given the ability to land immediately. They simply ran out of gas. Friends, the fourth commandment is God's way of reminding us in our own lives not to run out of gas. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again today for your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our pathway. We thank you, Lord, for the promises of your word to us. And now we have an opportunity, Lord, as we look at the commandments to not see them as burdens, but to see them as something that you have given to us to have fulfilled and fulfilling lives. So, Lord, for each one of us here this morning, help us to understand the importance of our language, the words that we use, and help us, Lord, to understand the need to sharpen the saw in our lives, to follow the Sabbath principle, to get the rest and restoration that each one of us need to continue to serve you, your kingdom, and the others in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The transition to a time of communion and the worship team will lead us in just a moment. The communion cups that you have, I have been told, are very difficult to open. So I suggest you start now. And Sue has given me instructions. And if you bend the tab down, uh, apparently then it's easier to take the, the uh, wrap that's on the top and pull it off to be able to get the other ingredients. I see I have just lost all of you now for it. (laughs) So, as some of you have already completed that process, we're going to prepare our hearts this morning. And we prepare our hearts this morning by looking at the vertical relationship we have with God and making sure that it's okay, and the horizontal relationship with others and make sure that that is okay. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to take a moment and If there's something that's come between you and the Lord, I encourage you to deal with it in this moment. And if there's something that's come between you and others to make a firm decision that you're going to deal with that and and make that right. And so you'll do that in the quietness of your own heart, and then we will have a prayer together uh, of, uh, of corporate prayer of confession. So friends, let's humbly confess our sins to Almighty God.
Let's join together in the prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and earnestly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who by his great mercy hath promised forgiveness of sins to all those who with hearty repentance and true faith turn unto him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, I invite you to reach for the communion elements that you have as we remember our Lord's death together. Our words of institution for the service are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we read these words. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Lord, we thank you this morning for your body broken for us. We thank you for your blood shed for us. How on the cross you became the means by which our sins are forgiven. We thank you, Lord, that through your death we have been able to come into right relationship with God and with others. That we have the joy of meaningful lives, purposeful lives, serving your kingdom and the absolute wonder and joy of eternal life to come. For that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name.